going into this college football season, from everything that I have gathered, the love for LSU is real. But the skepticism about LSU is also real. And to be completely honest, I think both are totally fair and justified. You are Locked On LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, y'all? Thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, you can also check us out on YouTube as well. Like, comment, subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast. All of that great stuff. Just appreciate you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I'm your host. As I am every day, you can follow me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton One. You can also follow along with the podcast and with podcast updates at Locked on LSU. Let's get into it. It is way too early top 25 season, and you know what? I am so incredibly here for it because what that means is we're getting closer and closer to college football season. But looking at ESPN.com, the post-spring updated top 25 power rankings have been released. Now, this is just on ESPN.com, and this is from Mark Schlabach on ESPN.com, who's been covering college football and football as a whole for ESPN.com for years. So this is one person's opinion. This is one network or one outlet's opinion. And keep in mind, it's May 4th. So many things can change from now until uh, tomorrow, really. Let's be real. Uh, But especially from now until the beginning of the season. So always take everything with a grain of salt. And I want to start off all of this discussion by saying These don't matter. Like, who cares about the May top 25? I know that's probably not a great way to set up a podcast as I talk about the top 25. The point being, a May top 25, it doesn't matter. An August top 25 doesn't matter. The top 25 going into week one really doesn't matter. It's the top 25 that matters once you get into the season. And really, it's the top four that matters once you get to December. So let's just keep that in mind that it's early. A lot of things can change, both for better or for the worse, for LSU or for every single other team on this list and also not on this list. A lot of things can change. Our perceptions of teams can change from week from now to week one, from week one to week two. We know this. We've been through this so many times before. Sometimes you get bamboozled and blindsided by all of the great, amazing things that you think a program can be doing, and then they turn out to be really not that great. Let's rewind to Texas A&M, the conversations that we were having about Texas A&M this time last year, top recruiting class in the country. They were collecting all these five-star recruits. They come out. They don't look very good. They lose to App State. They don't even make a bowl game. There are a million other examples that I could use. So just keep in mind that everything can change. These rankings, they don't matter. It's the top four that matter at the end of the season. But it's interesting to see. 
where, and this is again, one person's opinion, but where, you know, the national talking heads and the national writers who cover college football on a daily basis for a career, what they're kind of thinking, what the general consensus is of individual teams going into the season and what this season could eventually shape up to be. Everyone's going to be wrong. I'll just go ahead and say that. I've been doing this long enough to know that you can never truly accurately encapture what a uh, what a season encompass and capture um, what a season is going to be. I remember SEC Media Days this past season. The question was the big question was who is going to be the number three team in the SEC behind Georgia and Alabama. Well, surprise, Alabama was the number three team in the SEC behind Georgia and LSU, and let's even throw Tennessee in there. So things can change, but. With that being said, let's dive into those top 25s that I just said don't matter because it's fun because it's May. You know, it's it's interesting to see kind of what the thoughts are. Before we get into LSU, I want to talk, I just want to give my thoughts about the rankings, about the teams that are above LSU. So let's go from the top to LSU. Number one, Georgia. I have no problem with that. I would probably only have a problem with it if it wasn't Georgia. Back-to-back national championships. I know that they've lost several players to the NFL draft. I know they lost their starting quarterback to the NFL draft. I know that they have a new offensive coordinator coming in. Um, All of that combined, I think that's fair to call Georgia the number one team in the country, at least going into the season. Number two, Michigan. I'm honestly kind of surprised that Michigan is ranked this high, but sure, fine. I don't have a problem with it. It's with number three where I start to have a few questions. It's with number three that I'm thinking, okay, am I a cynic or are we just getting a little bit over our heads about this team? On this list, in the top 25, again, this is Mark Schlaubach on ESPN.com, is Florida State as the number three team in the country. And I have some questions about that. I know that the FPI loves Florida State because Florida State is bringing back a whole bunch of their starting production, their starting quarterback. They've got eight offensive players returning, eight defensive players returning. Great. That's wonderful. I know a lot of people are really high on Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis is a hell of a player. And Mark Schlaubach justifies it by saying Florida State believes quarterback Jordan Travis is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. Well, duh. I mean, like, doesn't every team think that their starting quarterback is going to be a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate? It doesn't mean they're going to be. Anyways, I'll continue. This is why I'm confused about Florida State being ranked as high as they are. If you want to make a, uh, you know, you want to justify Florida State being a top 25 team, like, you don't have to fight me on that. That's fine. I totally can get on board with that. But top three is just a little bit too rich for my blood. I understand that Florida State is returning a ton of production, but let's go to Florida State last year. Like, are they, like, based on what we saw last year, are they really going to be top three good? Are they? This is a projection for Florida State to make the college football playoff. Are they going to be that good? Last year, they went nine and three in the regular season. They won their bowl game. Ultimately, ended up ten and three. They were five and three in ACC play. These were their wins. Duquesne. I don't think a lot of people even know how to pronounce Duquesne. So I'll continue. LSU, and that was easily the best win on their schedule. But we all know, really, and I'm not taking that win away from Florida State. They won that game fair and square. But I think we all know that that game was probably a whole lot more to do with LSU shooting themselves in the foot than it had to do with Florida State, you know, just out gaming LSU. 
think of all the the special teams mistakes that LSU committed that that day. Two muffed punts, a blocked extra point, and a blocked uh, field goal. If maybe just one of those things doesn't go wrong, LSU probably wins that game. Florida State won that game by one point, even with all of those special teams blunders. With Brian Kelly's first game as the head coach at LSU, Jaden Daniels' first game as the quarterback for LSU, his first game um, as a quarterback in the SEC. So we all know what happened in that game, but I'm not going to take that one away from them. Louisville, who went seven and five. Boston College, who went three and nine. Georgia Tech, who went five and seven. Miami, who also went five and seven. Syracuse, who went seven and five. ULL, who went six and six. Florida, who also went six and six. At the time that Florida State played all of those those teams that they beat, none of them were ranked. Florida State played three ranked teams last season at the time that they played them. Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. They lost all three of those games. Some of them were close, but losing to Wake Forest 31-21, I wouldn't necessarily call that a close loss. So I understand a whole lot of love for Florida State going into the season. And as we get closer to the beginning of the season, we'll do much more of a deeper dive into Florida State and what they can be and what they can accomplish this season. But just from looking at it right now, looking at what they accomplished last year, I can't really get on board with the fact that they're going to be a top three team in the country, even with all of that returning production. No disrespect to Jordan Travis, no disrespect to this this you know, this team as a whole, but like, come on, top three? It's pretty bold. I'll get into some more of my thoughts coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Built Bar. So if you're looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all the sugar, you don't want all the calories, and you need the best tasting protein bar ever, Built, you've got to try it. So if you're like me and you want to eat healthier, you want to make smarter snack decisions and choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste, then Built Bar is the perfect thing for you because they're healthy and they taste so incredibly amazing. What makes them taste so good is that they're covered in 100% real chocolate, real dark chocolate. How could something not taste good if it was covered in chocolate? I mean, come on. And they come in delicious flavors. They've got churro, peanut butter brownie, one of my absolute favorites, and cookies and cream. They taste like a dessert. But you don't have to sacrifice your diet or your macros by indulging in something that tastes like a dessert. And what's even better is that there's only 130 calories, only 4 grams grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein in a Built Bar. So it can keep you full for hours. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. So you can head to your nearest Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, the double chocolate bars, or coconut puffs, also delicious. Or if you're closer to a Sam's Club, go ahead, run in there. Grab a 13-bar box with our Hit Flavors Brownie Batter Puff and Churro Puff. So delicious. Good for you. You can thank me later. 
Well, thanks again for making Locked in LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Every dayers tomorrow on the podcast. Some really wild stories coming out in college baseball. I'll break that down plus an Auburn series preview. So you do not want to miss that on tomorrow's edition of Locked on LSU. Now breaking down the updated post-spring college football top 25. And before we get to LSU, I'm kind of making my way through the teams ranked above LSU, giving my thoughts. So one, two, three, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State. Don't understand Florida State being that high. Whatever, we'll live. USC at four also feels a little bit too high for me, but fine, whatever, I'll live. Ohio State, honestly, kind of surprised. Ohio State is uh, ranked as low as they are, considering they did almost beat Georgia in a college football playoff game this past season. But I know they didn't. They almost did. You know, almost winning is not winning. Um, So Ohio State at five. Alabama at six. I got some thoughts on this. And it's not just because it's Alabama. But I look at Alabama, and they always get the benefit of the doubt. Rightfully so. It's Nick Saban. He's got more than enough skins on the wall to be given the benefit of the doubt. But if any other roster in America, maybe only barring Georgia, Georgia might be the only exception just given, you know, their recent success. But if any other roster was going through the overhaul that Alabama's is, if any other roster in the country was in the state that Alabama's is, it wouldn't even sniff the top 10. It wouldn't, it might not even be a top 25 team. Just look at what Alabama is, is facing right now. Two of their top players this past year were top three draft picks in the NFL draft. It's exactly what happened. They lost them. Their starting quarterback in Bryce Young, who I thought was the best quarterback in college football this past year and the year before, and Will Anderson, their most impactful players offensively and defensively. And the NFL can vouch for that, considering they were both top three players, top overall pick, the number three overall pick in Will Anderson in this year's NFL draft. So you, you got to fill those holes, which are not very easy shoes to fill. And oh, also, by the way, you're replacing your offensive coordinator because Bill O'Brien is going back to the NFL to serve as the New England Patriots offensive coordinator. And oh, wait, yeah, yeah, no, never mind. You also have to replace your defensive coordinator because Pete Golding, former defensive coordinator, just got the job at Ole Miss. So this is what Alabama is facing. Replacing one of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen in college football. Replacing their game-wrecking edge rusher in Will Anderson. Replacing their offensive coordinator and replacing their defensive coordinator. That's not easy to fill. In just one offseason. Alabama. I've said it so many times on the podcast. And if you're new here. Welcome. So happy to have you. That I view the spring transfer portal period. As you know. If you if you are in. If your roster is in good shape. Then you simply just add depth. You add guys that you think can help out your team. That you think can be versatile pieces. That you think can kind of fit into your culture. You add 
you know, you add bodies in the positional in your in certain positional groups. Well, Alabama may have just picked up their starting quarterback in the spring transfer portal period because he couldn't win the starting job at Notre Dame. And oh, by the way, he struggled to win and also to keep the starting job at Notre Dame in his last two seasons at Notre Dame. What Alabama is facing, what the roster is facing, it doesn't look great. It's not to say Alabama won't be an outstanding team because the Nick Saban effect is real and the Nick Saban impact is real and he has done a whole lot more with a whole lot less. However, the truth is Alabama has three quarterbacks now in that room and not one of them seems like the certified starter. The fact of the matter is whoever their quarterback is going to be is either going to be incredibly green or incredibly new to what SEC football asks of you as a starting quarterback it's not in a great position. You're not in a great spot. So that's just my soapbox about Alabama. I think they're going to still going to be a good team because they always freaking are. And it's really freaking annoying, but that's just kind of my thoughts on the Nick Saban effect, how even an Alabama team that has so many question marks, so many different positions, both on the field and on the sideline can still be the number six team in the country, just in these preseason rankings, which then brings us to LSU ranked at number seven. And this is Mark Schlaubach's justification for putting the Tigers at number seven. Are the Tigers ready to return to the top of the SEC West under second-year coach Brian Kelly? They took down Alabama in overtime last season, but then nearly lost at Arkansas and were blown out by a bad Texas A&M team on the road. That team was really bad. Quarterback Jaden Daniels, should be better in a second season in the LSU offense and added weight in this offseason. He'll have a great receiving core at his disposal and Malik Neighbors, Aaron Anderson, and Kyron Lacey, who had a big spring. Daniels was very good last season, but he needs to throw the ball down the field more efficiently. With Mason Smith returning from a torn ACL to join Makai Wingo, the Tigers might have one of the best defensive lines in college football. Star linebacker Harold Perkins was just as disruptive after moving inside this spring. I don't disagree with any of those statements. Almost losing in Arkansas, I can't say, I can't definitively say that, that they almost lost. It was a closer game than it needed to be, but this is my thing. The buy-in to LSU this offseason, it's real and it's justified. Because look at what LSU was able to accomplish this past season. Nine wins in the regular season. Absolute domination in the Citrus Bowl and bowl game. You walk away 10-4 and four with a trip to the SEC Championship in Brian Kelly's first year? You beat Alabama in his first year? Hell yeah. Then you look at it and you think, okay, well, they've got so much returning production. And you'd think Brian Kelly in his second year will just be that much better. Jaden Daniels in his second year will be just that much better. All of those freshmen that were so lights out this past year, Mason Taylor, Harold Perkins, so on and so forth, that they'll be even better in their second years. What can't this LSU team do? And then it's also very fair and justified and true that there's still a lot of question marks about this team. The benefit of the doubt that Nick Saban gets at Alabama, Brian Kelly hasn't earned that yet. They don't get the benefit of the doubt of... Yeah, well, it was cold at Arkansas, and a lot of players were uh, were sick. Jaden Daniels was sick. You know, they really struggled to move the football. They don't get that benefit of the doubt. They look at it like, you almost lost Arkansas. They look at it like, what the hell happened at Texas A&M? You know, why, why couldn't you score points? Why couldn't A&M move the ball with such ease like they did if you were such a good team? 
So I know it's not really necessarily fun to talk about some of the things that made LSU look not so great last season, but that's what everyone else is looking at. And that's what why I think a lot of people might question exactly what LSU is or what LSU can be. They look at the just the firepower this team has. And we see it too. We see just how much further ahead this team is than the team was this past season at this time, same time last year. But the questions are fair. Because the fact of the matter is, Brian Kelly did it in year one. And man, oh man, was that fun. I just need to see him do it again. And I think that that's fair. Coming up next, I sat down with Locked On Arizona Cardinals to break down exactly what the Cardinals are getting in their second round pick in B.J. Ojolari. This was my discussion with Locked On Cardinals. Host of Locked On LSU, host of Caroline Willie and D. Mace on 1025 The Game joins me. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be on here. And so I do radio in Nashville. So you're talking about the Will Levis trade, talking about BJ Ojolari. You're, you know, you're checking all my boxes. Now, really quick, because I host Locked on NFL Thursday with Tyler Rowland of Locked on Titans. He's not the hugest fan of the move. Like, what's the pulse? And I'm just going to send this clip to to Tyler. What's yeah. the pulse in Nashville and, you know, around, you know, Derek Mason, obviously, who played with Tennessee. Like, what's the pulse in the building out there? Amongst fans... They are ready to sell their season tickets and burn <laughs> the organization down for drafting Will Levis. And I think part of it is because, you know, Nashville, it's a SEC melting pot and there's so many Tennessee fans and they probably saw firsthand Will Levis throw three interceptions against Tennessee when he played them this past season. So I think that's part of it is like the anti-Kentucky kind of feeling, the fact that he didn't have a very good season this past year and the fact that the Titans wanted CJ Stroud. And they just got outbid by the Houston Texans, honestly. So that's kind of, it's uh, the entire fan base is irate about it. I don't think it's a bad move. I'm going to let him do what he's going to do on the field and let him decide for me if it was a bad pick or not. But everyone outside of Nashville is like, wow, what a steal. What a great pick. Everyone in Nashville is like, fire the general manager <laughs> after his first three months on the job. Now, Someone who used to be part of the Tennessee Titans organization, I don't know if you know this, is the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals now. Lonnie Austin and it's a fantastic, and I know that you knew that, but it's like <laughs> coming from going from Steve Kime to functionality, rational thought, actual draft acumen is what we experienced over the 72 hour span in, la in you know, in last week's draft. And BJ Ojalari fell into the Cardinals' lap after they accumulated a third round pick, which pretty much took the place of the tampering whoopsie doozy. Uh, that they did with the tampering of Jonathan Gannon. So tell me what the card, I mean, listen, I just make up words on this podcast. <laughs> tell me who BJ Ojolari is as a player, as a person, and what he's going to add at the NFL level. When you asked me, hey, can you come on, talk about BJ Ojolari for a couple of minutes? I was like, I can talk about BJ Ojolari for hours yes, because that's just what kind of a, a person and a player he is. I'll talk on the field first, then we'll get into off the field stuff. On the field, B.J. Ojolari is an absolute wrecker. I would say that he is a better pass blocker and he's a better pass rusher than he is a run stopper. And I think that was really kind of the biggest knock on him that really separated him from, you know, a certified first rounder to being kind of on the cusp of a first, second round grade was how he kind of struggles stopping the run at times. He's not as consistent as a run stopper, but at the next level, 
he's not going to be faced with as heavy as a run as he has in the SEC, just given the nature of the NFL, it being such a passing league. So I think that kind of fits B.J. Ojolari's skill set. And he's very versatile as well. He's played Jack at LSU. He's an incredibly Jack, you know, edge rusher specialist. But you can plug him in at defensive end. You can plug him in and play linebacker. He can drop back into coverage if you need him to do that. So he's an incredible defensive lineman, versatile player. But I think sometimes whenever I hear that, a red flag pops up for me because you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I think that B.J. Jalari is kind of that unique player that he is a master of just a few different things. So you're getting a really versatile, tough, just, you know, he's a gamer. Absolutely. Then the kind of person he is, as good of a player B.J. Jalari is, I would argue that he's an even better person. So at LSU, there's two numbers that mean something. The first one is number seven, and that goes to the best player, period. Tyron Matthew wore number seven. Leonard Fournette wore number seven. Um, So just the best player on the field. Number 18 goes to that guy who's just as good on the field as he is in the locker room. He is a leader. He personifies the values and the traits and the pillars of LSU football. It goes to the guy that loves the team, that loves LSU. Basically, like the the moral leader of the team, that guy that if you're down 14 at half, he's going to come in, get the whole team rallied around him. And B. Joe Jalari wore number 18. And he is exactly the kind of player. He is your prototypical number 18. It's not necessarily the best player on the field, but it goes to the guy that you look at and you say, that is LSU football personified. And I think also, you know, his older brother, Aziz Ojolari, mm-hmm. he was drafted in the second round of the 2021 draft. I think that also lends to B.J. Ojolari's readiness to play in the NFL, because physically, I think that he is ready. He's played in two different defensive systems at LSU, so he can pick up on those things quickly as he transcended from the Orgeron to the Brian Kelly era. But also with his older brother, Aziz, he's been in the league for two years. He knows what it's like to be a rookie and the expectations and what you need to do at the next level. So I think that does help and should ease maybe some of those concerns about the, the learning curve from college to the NFL, that he has a confidant and a counselor and his older brother that's been through it only a couple of years earlier. If you ever come into your life where you have to take an in-depth test on BJ Ojolari, this is rewindable because you're just <laughs> you've got every single thing you possibly could need. I'm a BJ Ojolari red. That's fantastic. Caroline Fenton, and I do want to mention, yeah, there are people that I look up to, and those are those who don't have to put a number at their end of their name with their Twitter handle. You were so close. Is there one Caroline Fenton? Like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, it's so close. It is so close. And there is one, it's at Caroline Fenton. And I have tried to DM her, I'm assuming it's a her, several times. Because she has not been on active on Twitter in like 10 years. The t- account is still there. And so many times I'm like, I will Venmo you. For <laughs> at Caroline Fenton, please. Like, I, like this is such a big part of my job. And the one just ruins it aesthetically. Please give me the account. Have not heard back from at Caroline Fenton yet, but one of these days. Come on, Elon, make it happen. Oh, yeah, sorry, please, that was just a little Elon. aside. A little aside. <laughs> I mean, and that's fantastic. The thing where anybody that listened, who's been a Cardinals fan for the last couple of years, especially uh, since, you know, 2020 when Isaiah Simmons was drafted, it was kind of a body clench thing that you just said where it's a jack of all trade master of none because when you look at Isaiah Simmons, although he played in the ACC where they played against high school teams pretty much when he was there, and Isaiah Simmons was an absolute Adonis in college and he didn't really have a position wasn't great pass rusher played safety even though he's massive 
things like that. And the Cardinals have struggled where to position him. And hopefully with Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rallis coming in, their scheme is 4-3 base. But uh, Jonathan Gannon said in his introduction press conference that they don't really have a scheme. They're going to figure out what skill set their players have and scheme against whatever offensive whatever offensive sets they're going to play in a given week. So give me and give Cardinals fans something to placate their nerves as it pertains to master of none and jack of all trades. Like, what is he excellent at? Getting to the quarterback. I mean, it, that, that could be your defensive scheme is, hey, you know, here we're going to do run a 4-3 and your DBs are doing all this. BJ, get to the quarterback. And that's mm-hmm. what he can do best. And one thing that I will say about BJ Ojolari, if you look at his stats, you know, if you're just like a, a box score warrior, you're not going to be wowed. It's not going to jump off the page at you. I think he had five and a half sacks maybe this year, seven this past season. Good season, but it doesn't look like an outstanding elite season. It's not right. Will Anderson. But what I will say about BJ Ojolari is his presence is felt on the football field even if it's not seen in the box score. He's not going to be that guy that necessarily gets three sacks a game, but he's going to be able to be that guy that gets pressure on the quarterback or the quarterback might be forced to throw earlier than the quarterback is expecting and then it's potentially picked off. Like That's kind of the impact that B.J. Ojolari plays. So while he can fill in in several different positions, what he's best at is the most important thing, and that is getting to the quarterback, getting pressure on the offensive line, getting pressure on the quarterback, and allowing the rest of the defensive line to do their thing. B. Joe Gelari is totally fine putting in some of the dirty work and not getting all of the glory for it because his presence is felt on the defensive line, even if it doesn't show up as a sack or as a tackle. There you go. That's exactly what everybody wanted to hear. And I think we saw, you know, I've watched film on him and I've watched games and stuff, but with the offense being as it was in LSU, like it's so interesting. And I'll get you out of here on this. Like how can you quantify or qualify 2019's LSU defense with that offense on the other side? How can you like, there's things like that, that with the offense with Jaden Daniels, it's a little bit different. It's bleeping different, you know, with Brian Kelly and what they did this year, maybe be, may have been Brian Kelly's best coaching job in the history of his job with them rising up the ranks. Now, their offense wasn't as potent as it used to be. So that would lend more to believe that what we saw on the defensive side of the ball from LSU was more translatable to the next level. Is that accurate? I would say that's fairly accurate. I look at the history of LSU football and what traditionally this team wants to do and how they win. 2019 is the exception and not the rule for so many different reasons. Yeah. But also because that was an offensive firepower team. I mean, that was spread out offense. They could put up 50, 60 points a game. Mm-hmm. That defense was really good. There was so much talent on that defense. But the strength of that team wasn't the defense, and it wasn't even close. Right. Normally, traditionally, in the past, and you know, the Brian Kelly era is a little bit different, but in the past, LSU has won so many games and has been so competitive because they run the heck out of the football mm-hmm. and they play damn good defense. I mean, look at some of the LSU quarterbacks of the past. You know, you've got you know Jamarcus Russell and Danny Etling and some names that you're probably like who the heck is that because that's just it hasn't been you know how LSU has won games in the past that 2019 team offensively was just lights out defensively was solid and did exactly what they needed to do so the offense could shine but also B. Joe Gelari was not on that 2019 team right he came in in 2020 which is another testament to his character that he could have left when it was an absolute dumpster fire and he decided to stick it out Caroline Fenton, 
1025 in Nashville, Locked on LSU. Thank you so much. Thank really you. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Every day or tomorrow on the podcast, an Auburn series preview, a full breakdown of the Auburn Tigers and what we can expect for the LSU Tigers on the diamond this weekend. All of that coming up in tomorrow's episode of Locked on LSU.